Most people want to think of a Jesus who's a helpless babe in the manger. Uh, they get very warm and fuzzy about that. Most people want to see a Jesus whose body hanging helplessly upon a cross. That's how most people want to think of Jesus today. But listen to me. The Bible said that He was, He is, and always will be a mighty God. And 1,000 years before He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 1,000 years before He took on human flesh, King David was given a supernatural ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to look down the road 1,000 years before Jesus was born and to see His descendant, to see His Son who would be called the Son of David, to be a ruling supreme king of the universe on the rim of the universe as a ruling power over the earth. When that baby was in the manger... I was God of very God. When he hung on that cross, he never ceased to be God of very God. When he rose again, he was God of very God. When he ascended into heaven, the Father said, sit tight. I'm going to make all your enemies your footstool. Now I want you to turn with me to Psalm 110. This is the last in a series of messages from the Messianic Psalms. The Psalms that have prophesied about the coming of Jesus Christ. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. In fact, it is quoted directly or indirectly 27 times. It is quoted in Mark. It is quoted in Matthew. It is quoted in Luke. It is quoted in Acts. It is quoted in 1 Corinthians. It is quoted in Ephesians and in Colossians and in 1 Peter and in Hebrews. The most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament, that ought to tell you this is very important. I am convinced if people of God would meditate upon this psalm, the Christians will cease to live a mediocre Christian life. I am convinced if the people of God would take time to meditate upon this psalm, they will cease to live a so-so Christian life or defeated Christian life. They will know that they are worshiping a mighty God, a powerful God, not who will be, but He is already a powerful God. Psalm 110 tells us all about Jesus' divine origin. It tells us about Jesus' kingly power. It tells us about Jesus' high priestly authority. It tells us about Jesus' vast power over all the earth. It tells us about Jesus' judicial power over everyone. It tells us about His unique intercessory power over all the world. There is no psalm, no psalm of all the Psalter that clearly spells out, a thousand years before Christ, spells it out. Spells the Holy Trinity. They spell out the divine Trinity, the incarnation of Jesus, his suffering, the power, his power to forgive sins, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming judgment, and his everlasting life that he will give to everyone who will believe in him. Above all, Psalm 110 reminds us that Jesus is reigning and ruling right now, even as we speak. Verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, 
Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Remember now, King David was the most powerful man on the earth at that time. He defeated all of his enemies. Not a single person would dare to raise a finger against King David. He became so supreme in his power over the earth. And prophet Nathan comes to him and he said, David, through your descendants, God is going to raise a Messiah. And therefore, that Messiah is not going to be just the son of David. He's going to be the son of God. And David sees Jesus literally 1,000 years And his son, his descendant, 1,000 years before he came, he sees him through the eyes of faith to be far greater than him. He may be king over, but this is going to be king over the universe. In other words, he's saying, God the Father, Elohim, says to my Lord, Adonai, to God the Son, sit at my right hand until all of your enemies are going to be a footstools. Now, This is not the Jesus that most people want to believe in. This is not the Jesus that people want to think about. This is not the Jesus who is welcomed in public places. In fact, I was reading an Islamic uh, newspaper online. Uh, The writer was saying, we are happy to accept Jesus, the Son of Mary, but we cannot accept Jesus, the Son of God. Well, they're not alone. There are a whole lot of people in Europe and in America and in the rest of the world who are happy to accept Jesus, the Son of Mary, but not Jesus, the Son of God. And yet David, 1,000 years before Christ, uh, said that his son will be no other than the Son of God who reigns and rules supreme over the universe. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 22 confirmed that. He said when David spoke those words in Psalm 110, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things about him. And Jesus said, I am the one that David spoke of. What is David saying here? What is David saying about the glorified Jesus? Please listen carefully. This is going to revolutionize your Christian walk. He is saying that after Jesus paid the wages of sin, of the sin of everyone who will believe in him on the cross of Calvary. After he dies and is buried in a borrowed tomb, he's going to rise again. And after he rises again, he's going to be descended into heaven. All of that 1,000 years before Christ. And he said there, when he got to the throne of heaven, there his father is going to say to him, sit at my right hand. Now you can reign supreme over the universe. Why is it the right hand? Why is he going to sit at the right hand? You've got to understand that in the old times, if you're invited to somebody's home and they seat you at the meal table at the right hand, you have received the seat of honor. Now, if you sit on the left hand, you get the message, and as soon as dinner is over, you leave. <laughs> but if you are invited to sit at the right hand of the host, you are a very honored guest. In that home. Ah, but think about this. When it came to the king, when it came to the king's table, it's not just any honor. (laughs) It's not just any honor. This is the greatest honor of all. 
And while he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, people can't see it. They can't see it with their eyes. Uh, the people do not acknowledge it now. Uh, most people cannot accept it now. Most people would rather have a, a different kind of Jesus. They don't see that his power is supreme. They don't see that his authority is in disputable. They don't see that he has the last word. They don't see that he has the final word. They don't see his sovereignty as a reality. Ah, but his children do. Through the eyes of faith you can, but not everybody can. But what does it mean again to sit at the right hand side of the king? To sit at the right hand of the king, it means that you are sharing in his power. It means that you have a significant participation, if not full participation, on his authority. This is the clearest evidence of sharing the king's power. This is the clearest evidence that you are equal with the king. That's what the king does when he invites you to sit at his right hand. It gives evidence that you are exercising the power of the king, the authority of the king, and what you say is what the king says. And that is why Paul could tell the Philippians, <laughs> God has highly exalted him. He's no longer a baby in the manger. He's no longer hanging helplessly on the cross. But he said, now God has highly exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue is going to confess, whether they agree with it or not, but they're going to confess it, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You see, when Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn for Him to be born. When Jesus graced our earth, the Bible said he had nowhere to lay his head. When Jesus walked the streets of Israel, when he walked the streets of the earth, he was despised and he was rejected. Though he was a beloved son of God, but he was scorned. He was reviled. He was harassed and he was hated. He was maligned and lied about. He was unjustly arrested and shamefully tried. Uh, he was betrayed by his friend, and he was forsaken by all of his disciples. And when Jesus hung on that cross, everybody thought it was over. It was over. It is finished. The dreams are shattered. No more dreams of the kingdom of God. But God says, no, it's not over. It's just beginning. He planned it all along that he would born of a virgin, die on a cross, raise again, and then go into heaven and sits on that right-hand side of the Father and rules until all of his enemies become his footstool. That was God's plan all along. And so when he rose from the dead and got the, back to heaven where he came from, uh, Paul said that through whom all things were made, the creation was created through him and through his power. When he went back to that seat of power, the father said, well done, son. <laughs> you just sit tight until I make every one of your enemies to be a footstool. But listen to me. If you cannot have a vision of Jesus 
reigning and ruling supreme right now, then you do not have a vision of the real Jesus. Uh, But Jesus, who is the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose again, the Jesus whom David spoke in Psalm 110, 1,000 years before he was born, that Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings right now. That Jesus is reigning and ruling supreme as we speak. And yet that ruling and reigning supreme cares for every detail in your life that not a single hair came out of your head without his permission. And beloved, listen to me. You have only two choices. Every one of us, every human being has only two choices. There is no third. Either you can bow to him and revere him with deep gratitude and thanksgiving for his love and forgiveness, or you'll become his footstool. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. You can respond to his loving invitation and come and receive forgiveness at his hand and retrieve from guilty conscience, or you can reject him and continue to have a Jesus that you want to believe in and risk all of your eternity. You can fall on your knees now like John the Revelator. When you think about it, it's mind-boggling. John the Apostle was said the disciple who laid on Jesus' shoulder. He's whom the disciple Jesus loved. He was so close to Jesus. But when he saw him exalted, when he saw him glorified in heaven, John fell on his face. He couldn't look him in the eye. And you can either do that or risk your eternal future. You're forever and ever and ever. Verses 2 and 3. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of dawn. You will receive the dew of your youth. Now, beloved, this is a picture of a reigning monarch, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. You see, back then, when a king announced and ruled and and made pronouncements, he did not stand behind a podium. He actually sat on a throne, and he made his announcement. He sits on his throne... And he rules and reigns while he's sitting down, not when he's standing up. Any of you who have seen the Queen of England opening Parliament, it's pomp and ceremony. There's no power. There's no power. But it looks good on television. Because she comes in and says, my government is going to do this and is going to do that. Somebody else wrote the speech for her. But when King Jesus sits on his throne... He says, my government, I am the one who is the authority. I am the one who is the power. I am the one who reigns and rules supreme. Not somebody write a speech for me. And he sits on his throne, the Bible said, and he reigns and rules over the whole universe. How? How? Through his willing servants, through his willing soldiers, through his willing children. How? Oh, By reigning and ruling supreme over their hearts, over their minds, over their lives. By Him being the King of their lives, the ruler, supreme ruler of everything in their lives. 
And where are those God's children? They are everywhere. They are everywhere. He's going to reign and rule in the lands of his enemy. That's what the psalmist said. I'm not making it up. He said he's in the lands of his enemies. And today, as we speak, in every land that people set themselves against God, see, God doesn't have enemies in the sense that he wants to be. No, they set themselves at enmity with him. And there are lands all over this world who have set themselves at enmity with God. Even in the midst of these lands, God is reigning and ruling where? In the hearts of his children who are living in those lands. That's what the psalmist said. In submitting to Jesus, his followers are serving him. In obedience to Jesus, his followers are witnessing for him. In bringing many to come from these lands of his enemies to come and believe in him. And therefore enter into his kingdom. Enter into his rule and submit to him and his authority. Here is the greatest contrast between those who exercise despotic kingship and rulership in the world and Jesus. These earthly rulers... They rule within boundaries. They have geographical boundaries. There are borders between countries, and you have to produce a visa or a a passport to go from one to another. Why? Because they rule only within their boundaries. Uh, They may lead their kingdoms into wars and may extend their rule like the Roman Empire did. Uh, They may overpower their enemies and extend their territories. But King Jesus rules in the midst of his enemy's land. (laughs) Did you get that? By spiritually ruling right now in the hearts and in the minds and the lives of his children who are scattered in a hostile land, who are scattered in the lands of the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why do you think, have you ever thought about this? I often think about it, I often think about it because I have many friends who are persecuted for their faith and I know friends in prison because of their faith. Have you ever thought about this? Why these despots? Why these dictators? Why these corrupt rulers? Why? Why do they persecute Christians? Why? Have you thought about this? And the irony is that Christians are the most law-abiding citizens of any group of people. Why? Ah, I want to tell you why. Because these despotic rulers... They don't like the fact that one of their citizens' first loyalty is to the king of heaven. They don't like the fact that they bow (laughs) to a king that they can't control. That is why these rulers, in their hatred and jealousy of the king of the universe, they are killing his followers, the ones who are the most law-abiding people. Yet they arrest them, they torture them, they persecute them. Because they cannot stand anyone worshiping, believing, submitting to somebody that they can't control, even if he is the king of heaven. (laughs) Now listen to me, please. You and I are called upon to live among the enemies of God. We're not called upon to go out in the mountain and have our own compound. (laughs) We're called to live in the midst of a people who may have declared enmity toward God. 
You and I are called upon to pray for the enemies of God. You and I are called upon to love those who are enemies of God. You and I are called upon to persuade those enemies of God to come and receive His invitation for the forgiveness of their sins, to come and receive eternal life, to come and believe in Him, and to accept Him as Lord and Savior and fellowship with Him. That's our call. We are called to live in the enemy's territory. And the Bible said that he rules. He rules right in the land of his enemies. The question is, are you willing? It says, willing. Your troops, verse 3, your troops will be willing. Are you willing? What are you kind of, your Christian life is just a humdrum, and I say, well, I've got to do this because I've got to feel obligated, and I'm under duty, and I feel, you know, I've got to do it, and otherwise, you know, what will people think of me, and I've got to do this, and I have to do that. No, 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 no. He said, they're willing. They can't wait to get their marching orders. They can't wait to do what God, the King of the Universe, tells them to do. Have you presented yourself as a living sacrifice? Living sacrifice. But Jesus' power is not only kingly power, it is also priestly power. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and He will not change His mind. You are a priest forever in the old order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. I wish I had more time to tell you more about him, but just take it from me. (laughs) He's a type of Christ. And we see him pop up the first time in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham confronts him and sees him, and immediately he recognizes him for who he is. He bows to the ground. He shares water and wine and bread, and then he gives him not 10% of his income, but 10% of his net worth, and he hands it to him. He was king of Salem. He was the king of peace. He is king. Malik means king. Melchizedek is a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. In the Old Testament, there had been a separation of power between the kings and the priests. The priest can never act as a king, and the king could never act as a priest. But even the high priest in the Old Testament, he could not just get into the Holy of Holies any old time he likes it or feels like it. The high priest can only enter into the Holy of Holies only once a year. And if you want to know if your sins are forgiven or not, you have to wait for a year living in misery, living in burden and burden conscious, living in guilt. You have to wait for that once a year. But now a high priest, King Jesus, can forgive your sins the moment you repent. You don't have to wait. And Jesus is not just the high, any high priest who would change, have lived for years, and then changed. He is a high priest forever. And because God the Father decreed that His Son is the high priest, He is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is called the King of Peace and the King of Righteousness. Therefore, He represented permanent priesthood. He represented permanent rule. He represented 
permanent ability to intercede with God anytime. And God said that Melchizedek was a mere picture of Jesus, that Melchizedek was just the shadow of Jesus. But Jesus Christ is the one who reigns and rules supreme as the high priest. He combines all authority, not just separation of power. He got all the power. And before he sent his disciples and commissioned them to go on take on the world, he said, all power, all authority have been given to me, therefore go. And we go in his authority. Jesus Christ is the only permanent intercessor between man and God. No other intercessor. Only Jesus Christ, God decreed it. He sworn by His name, and He cannot change His mind. He said, only one intercessor between me and man, and His name is Jesus. Nobody can intercede for you but Jesus. Not only Jesus, kingly power was prophesied. Not only that His high priestly power, permanent high priestly power and intercessory power is prophesied, but thirdly, in this psalm, you see that His judicial power is prophesied. You see, people might mock Jesus now. The problem is, they don't realize that the Savior, who is now welcoming, inviting, longing for people to come to Him, One day, and it looks like sooner than ever, he's going to sit on the bench as a judge. And the day of salvation would be gone forever. Now you must face him as judge. Because the Bible said that Jesus Christ will judge every single human being on the face of the earth that has ever lived and will ever live. And he qualified to be a judge because he died on a cross. He said, what right do you have? The right of my dying for you so that you may respond to my invitation. You reject the invitation of the king, you're going to have to face him as your judge. Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. Just because we cannot see Our King Jesus reigning and ruling supreme over the universe right now with our physical eyes. Just because we can't see His power with our own physical eyes does not mean that He's not reigning and ruling supreme even now. He is reigning over your affairs and your difficulties. He knows exactly what you're going through. And He loves you. And He's turning everything to your good for those who love Him. He's in control of the things that are out of your control. He's in control of the things that baffle you. He is in control of the things that confuse you. He's in control. He's reigning and ruling supreme. My cry to God has been for many days that He will give you the faith, give you the faith to be able to see Him as reigning supreme over the universe, right now. And I understand that you've never submitted your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. You will not be able to see that. And no matter how many people will tell you you need to do this and you need to do that, and that's why I'm reluctant to tell the world what to do because the world have rejected Jesus until they accept Jesus. They will never understand what 
is important to the heart of Jesus. They cannot see him in that glorified posture. They cannot even understand that one day they will see him with their eyes, but it may be too late for so many of them. My prayer is that God would give you the faith to visualize the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne in heaven. No more as a helpless babe. No more as a helpless body hanging on a cross. No more as a man of sorrow. No, the Bible said we know him after the flesh. No more. No more. And so my prayer is that he will give you spiritual eyes to see him now before it's too late. The whole world will see him. And Paul said every eye, every tongue, every knee, everybody. And there are going to be two groups of people. There will be those who loved him and those who responded to his love. Those who have trusted him with their life and those who longed for his return. And when that day comes, when the eastern sky is split, and the trumpet will sound, and there's a shout of the archangel. They'll be rejoicing. They'll be happy. They'll be excited. They can wait to see Jesus supreme and be seen by everybody else. But everybody else is also going to see that. The problem is many who have rejected him, many who have ignored him, many of those who have actually tried to have a vision of Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible, the Bible said they'll be mourning I pray to God not a single person will be among those who mourn when Jesus returns. Not one. Not one. Now, which category will you be in? Which group are you going to be with? Will you be among those who rejoice or those who mourn? The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.